Shalom, shalom and welcome to this week's Think Jewish and the title for this week, the Sunday before Rosh Hashanah is My Father, My King which comes from Avinu Malkeinu Okay, so that's what, that's what we're discussing today just want you to know that there is an entire series of some of the deepest works from the fifth Lubavitch Rebbe, Rab Shalom Ber of Lubavitch, which he delivered in the year 5666, six, five, a hundred and something years ago, about 117 years ago. And um, over there he discusses not so much the Vinu Malkenu which is referring to God, our Father, our King. Rather, over there he talks about more the difference between the son and the servant. So over there he talks about the difference in service when it's a son serving his father versus the service when a servant is serving his master. And in prayers we consistently find both. We find Hashem referred to as our Father. We find, we find Hashem is, uh, referred to as our King, our Master. And we do it in both forms. We also say in Rosh Hashanah, if we are as sons, have compassion on us the way a father has compassion on his son. If we are servants, right? Im kabanim, im kavadim. So we're constantly referring the relationship between us and Hashem in this dual manner. There's the father-son relationship, which from us means the son-father relationship. And there is the king-servant relationship, which for us is the servant-king relationship. So how do we see ourselves? How do we see Hashem? And there are two very different forms of services. And in that series of the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, he gets into the very intrinsic details, the difference between the servant's service to Hashem and the son's service to Hashem. To go through that whole series tonight would be impossible, but I want to just capture enough of it for us to understand what's going to happen Wednesday night, Thursday, Thursday night, Friday. The Avinu Malkenu. What is the difference between Avinu and what is the difference between Malkenu? And then I just want to point out that what's interesting is that even though we have Avinu, our father, Malkenu, our king, what is the mandatory wording of the blessing? And if not, you have to repeat it. Baruch atah Hashem, HaMelech HaKadosh. The focus of Rosh Hashanah is on the Melech much more so than on the father. We don't say Avinu HaKadosh, we say HaMelech HaKadosh. And if you make a mistake, you have to repeat. The Kiddush that we make is focused on what? Meloch, be our king. The prayers of Rosh Hashanah is focused primarily on God being our king, not God being our father. In the Musaf services, what do we do? We say 10 verses of Malchiot, not about God being our Father. We could very easily find 10 verses between the Torah, Nevi'im, Iktuvim, the Chumash, the five books of Moses, the prophets, and the scriptures in which God is referred to as our Father. 
And nevertheless, that is not what we're doing. The Talmud says that what does God request of us on Rosh Hashanah? Tamlichuni alechem. Make me king over you. He doesn't say realize that you are my son and come back to me, your father. We're talking about kingship. Especially in the world of Kabbalah, the entire concept of Rosh Hashanah is Binyan HaMalchut. To rebuild the tenth emanation, which is Malchut, kingship. So while we're going to go ahead and look into the difference between Avinu and Malkenu, and I do want to point out that obviously we don't say Malkenu Avinu, we say Avinu Malkenu. So even on Rosh Hashanah, in this specific prayer written by Rabbi Akiva, we say Avinu before Malkenu, our father before our king. But it is most definite according to all the teachings that the focus of Rosh Hashanah is can I make God my king, not my father. Now we could say, by the way, parenthetically speaking, you can't make someone your father. You could make someone your king. We could go there. But I just want to focus on that contrary to what we would like to believe. Most of us come to shul on Rosh Hashanah looking for an intimate relationship with God. Intimacy, my friends, belongs more between a parent and a child than between a king and a subject. Most of us are looking at Rosh Hashanah hoping to be inspired, to feel close to God. We're about to find out that closeness is the relationship between a father and a child. Actually, according to the teachings of Kabbalah, a king is actually built on distance. There are many things that a king has to do to create a distance between him and his subject. Such as, it is prohibited for a king to work in front of his subjects. A king does not call his top servants or ministers by their first names, but only by their last name. Because what we're not doing is creating closeness. In the words of Kabbalah, the king, Malchut, is built upon Givurah and not upon Chesed. The king is built upon strictness and strength, which creates distance and not closeness. So all of a sudden, for us wonderful generation, whatever we're called, X, I don't know what we're up to today, that we're always looking for intimacy and closeness and spirituality is all about feelings and God's my best friend. I've actually heard that terminology, God's my best friend. This is all beautiful and there's a place for it. But not, believe it or not, not on Rosh Hashanah. So if you're coming to Rosh Hashanah shul to look for this close, intimate, lovey-dovey relationship with God, it's actually not the major focus. Again, contrary to what many of us have either liked to believe, learned to believe, or believe. So let's get a little bit into the difference between a father and a king. And then we're going to have to answer the question, why is it that God wants distance if everything is about closeness with God? The sermon I'm going to give on the second day, I sent out already the email with the titles, 
the sermon of my the title of my second day sermon in Rosh Hashanah is man's search for intimacy playing off Viktor Frankl's book man's search for purpose so intimacy seems to be so important to us especially in the cold and darkness of exile so why Malchut rather than Avinu so let's go ahead let's discuss the difference the difference between a father and king relationship from the very set, from the very get-go, is that the father and child, simply genetically speaking, are close. The kesher, the relationship, the connection between a father and a child is automatically close because it's genetic. So much so that it doesn't depend on anything the child's going to do. The rebellious child is still a child. I personally, I personally, I didn't see this in teachings, but I personally have always found comfort in the worst scenario of a father-child relationship in the Torah, which is called a ben sorer umorer, where the father has to take the child and bring the child to the courthouse, and the courthouse is going to end up killing the child. Which, by the way, the Talmud tells us never happened. It's one of the two things the Talmud said never happened. But it's in the Torah, it's in the Chumash. What I always marveled at was that the Torah says that the parents tell the judge, our child. Even in that moment, even when the child has crossed the line of no return and the father and mother has an obligation to bring him to the courthouse, knowing full well what the outcome of that action is going to be, it's b'nei nuzeh. I think that's marvelous. Because no matter what's going on, the father-child relationship will always exist. I know that in civil law, there's this concept of uh, disowning a child or disowning a parent. It doesn't exist in Jewish law. You can disown from today to Timbuktu, the child has to sit shiva for the parent, and the parent has to sit shiva for, to, for the child, regardless how many times they legally disowned each other. So the kesher, the connection between the parent and the child, is genetic. It's internal. It's not external. And therefore, externally, the relationship can be very rocky. It can actually be very horrific. But the kesher is still there. The relationship is still there. And thus, I'm going to have to present that the relationship of father-child that we have with God is dependent upon our godly soul, which was created in the image and likeness of God. As God said in Genesis, let us create man in our image and likeness. It would be hard to say concerning our body or our animalistic soul that we are genetically like our father, capital F. So we're going to have to say that the genetic likeness between us and Hashem is the fact that our godly soul, as the opening of chapter 2 in Tanya says, mamash, that our soul is truly a piece of God. And Baal Shem Tov adds on, it's a piece of the essence of God, 
And in essence, when you touch one piece, you've touched everything. Because essence is simplicity, and when you've touched one piece of essence, you've touched the entire essence. So when we're talking about the Avinu, Avinu relationship, we're going to have to say that the Avinu relationship is built upon the Nishamaz relationship with God. Because if we're saying that Brokara de Avua, the child, the son, the daughter, is a chip off the old block, we're going to have to say we're talking about the godly soul. So number one, when we talk about Avinu, we're talking about a close relationship. We're talking about an internal relationship. We're talking about the type of internal relationship that if in the, even if the external relationship has been so severed and so damaged, nevertheless, the parent says, this son of ours, our son, because that won't change no matter what happens. The parent and the child, the child is the parent's child, regardless of externally what he or she does. Interesting story. I believe I shared it once in uh, a class that they once asked one of the great Chabad philosophy thinkers, a real person who knew a lot of Chabad Hasidut in Israel he lived, his name was Moshe Gerari, and they asked him that everywhere in Hasidut it says that the parent-child relationship is an essence relationship. It doesn't have to be earned. It is. So how come that we should never know from it, but in the times that the Holocaust actually happened a lot, parents were separated from their children, and 20, 30 years later, they were reunited. If the parent-child relationship is not one that has to be developed, its essence, it is, then why is it when a parent and a child is related after a very long period of separation, we don't find that like two magnets they're together? If it's essence, it should just happen. And he explained, because the essence relationship is internal. What the parent and child is, is trying to develop and get over the uncomfortabilities is the external. So again, I share with you that the main focus of a father and child is internal. The Avinu relationship is an internal one. And thus we have the second level of this relationship. Because a parent and a child are internally one, genetically one, thus the parent and the child can understand each other. The child can eventually learn and will probably end up most likely whether it be environmental or genetic, that will leave for the, for the therapist and the psychologist to work out. But most probably the parent and child will be thinking alike. So what actually happens here is, and that's not a rule always because, uh, you know, genetic is always a mix. There's always two. But what I'm trying to say, share here is that once again, the closeness is not just on the genetic essence level, but also on the intellectual level. Which then leads to the next step because intellect begets emotions. So therefore the level between the parent and the child, the child to his parent or her parent 
is also built on love and fear and awe. The emotions are involved. Because everything about the father-child relationship, and obviously I'm using the word father here only because we refer to God as Avinu. And I'm not saying anything more father than mother. But in the, we always say Avinu, Malkeinu. So that parent-child relationship, what I'm trying to, to show a pattern here, is it's always close and internal. Versus now Malkeinu. As I mentioned to you before, I said that to you that Kabbalistically speaking, Malchut is built on Givurah, not Chesed, in English. Kingship is built upon strictness and strength, concealment, and not through closeness, kindness. And what that means is that the verse in the Torah says that you have to fear your king. I actually don't think it says anyway you have to love your king. Concerning Hashem it does. But the main focus of the king-subject relationship is built on fear. Which is why it says that a king has to always look nice in front of his subjects. So much so that it's actually a law that he has to take a haircut every single day. The king has to take a haircut. It's law in the Rambam. He has to take a haircut every single day. So much so that I personally stood by a Fabrengen and I heard the Rebbe discuss the issue of who can give a king a haircut. It can't be a Jew because a Jew is not allowed to see his king in that format. And then on the other hand, this whole question is whether a Jew is allowed to take a haircut by a Gentile. That's how much the Rebbe was dealing with this issue. Because the law of a king is that he must have a distance from his subjects. Because that distance allows for the fear and awe that the Torah mandates in the relationship between a king and his subject. If you're looking for a hug, don't turn to your king, turn to your parent. And thus we take it to the next step. In Kabbalah, when we look at the definition of a king, we talk about the physical description that the Torah gives us for the very first king. King Saul, besides the fact that he was very beautiful and we're told that he's very beautiful, so much so that the women would stop him just to chat with him and ask him questions just to keep him busy so they can look at him longer. That's how beautiful he was. And then it goes on to say something very interesting. The king, Saul, was a head above, physically in height, above the rest of his nation. And Kabbalah focuses on that and says the reason for that is because the shoulders begins emotions. The head is intellect. So he's telling us, the Torah is telling us that the emotions of the king was equal to the intellect of his subjects and his intellect was above and beyond the capacity of any of his subjects. Which, by the way, according to Kabbalah, is, and according to Torah, is what a king is all about. A king is all about to lead us into a relationship with God, which is beyond our own capacity. But what I want to point out today is, you can't have a close relationship with a person that it is impossible for you to understand. Women in this room will probably relate to this, but the one thing women always complain 
about the relationships is he doesn't even know me. Because a relationship is built on knowing. If I don't like the, if I don't know the little nuances of what bothers you and what you like, how you simply like your toasted buttered in the toast buttered in the morning, then there's there's something missing in the relationship. Because a close, intimate relationship is built on how much I know you, how much I know of you. And we just were told from this teaching in Kabbalah that it's impossible to know your king. What you know of your king is really the lowest parts, the external parts of your king. Because the king, by definition, I'm going to use the words in Hebrew, is Meshichmo Umelmala. Shoulders and above. So everything about the king is quite the contrary of a father. The father is looking for the internal relationship. The king is looking for the external relationship. Now let's talk about this in a more practical way. A parent wants to see the inner dimensions of his or her child develop. Really what the parent is focused on is the intellectual development, the emotional development. The parent is very focused on the IQ and the EQ of a child. The king isn't. The king isn't. I'll tell you a story that happened with my uncle. My uncle, when he went to the army, so he was there, and the first day, first whatever it was that he got, the assignment that he got was to set something up, pile up something or something like that. And uh, his, his superior, whoever it was over him, um, told him exactly how to do it. So my uncle tells me that later his superior came back, and of course my uncle is, uh, you know, he's going to figure out a, a better way to do it. You know, that's what Jews do for a living. We find out a better way, which usually means an easier way, by the way. And that's what he did. His superior comes back and says, Soldier, what are you doing? So my uncle told his superior, You told me to pile it up like this, right? I just found an easier way to do it. I was thinking that this is easier, but the end product is the same. My uncle told me that the minute he said the words, I was thinking, his superior snapped at him and said, Soldier, your job is not to be thinking. I'll be doing that for you. That is the most fundamental part of a relationship between a master and a servant, superiors and soldiers, kings and subjects. In the language of Torah, we call it Kabbalat Ol. Ol is, means a yoke. Today we have tractors. In the olden days we had cows pulling. So you ever saw how the cow pulls a, a, a plow? There's that wood on top which is connected right to the plow. That wood on top that locks around the neck and, and shoulders of a cow is called a yoke. Kabbalat ol, acceptance of the yoke. What you're going to end up doing once you have your, the yoke on you is not for you to figure out. The guy, the farmer, We'll figure out. The cow doesn't really have to understand the art of agriculture. All he needs to do is 
kabbalat ol. In the relationship with a king, the one and most important fundamental piece of the relationship is kabbalat ol. Now for human beings that were gifted with higher intelligence and based on that higher emotions, we're not animals. We are not part of the animal kingdom. That becomes a huge challenge. It's quite clear that if I were right now to do a vote in this room or in any room of human beings I step into, what relationship do you want to have with God? Avinu or Malkeinu? Close or distant? Understanding and feeling or obedience? I will always get, if not complete, at least serious majority, is going to ask for what? Avinu. Avinu. It seems to be that we are completely wasting the image of God that God gave us when we're being Malkeinu relationship. Why did God create me in His image and His likeness? Which Kabbalah teaches me is the ten Sfirot. Just like there's the ten Sfirot, the ten emanations in the holy worlds of Atsilus and above. And then that's my reflection because I have ten faculties, three intellects and seven emotions. Why'd you do that? If all you want from me is Malkeinu, if that's the key thing, then you didn't need to give me intellect. You didn't need to give me emotions. Quite the contrary. With all the new movies and the, everyone's thinking, where is the human race going? Because we're going to be replaced by robots one day. Guess what? That seems to be perfect. Because robots are built for Malkeinu. That's exactly what they're built for. We're not. It seems to be that everything about our psyche is built for Avinu. But let me say that that is why the only Malkeinu relationship which is meaningful to God is ours. The only time when God will feel like a king is not over robots, not over animals, but over humans. Because we are the only creature that because we were gifted with intellect and emotions, because we were genetically built for intimacy, and we can understand that besides the Avinu relationship with God, there's another whole realm of Malkeinu. And here is the key word of Rosh Hashanah. If you want to know what the key word of Rosh Hashanah is, what is the one thing I need to reach in Rosh Hashanah? My friends, the word is surrender. Because that's exactly what we have to do to have a king relationship with God. To quote what the superior told my uncle, it's not your job to think, I'll be doing that for you. On Rosh Hashanah, that's what we need to be able to, re to reach. And Rosh Hashanah, we're now praying to God, God, allow me to understand your Torah. That's not what we're praying for on Rosh Hashanah. On Rosh Hashanah, what we are praying for is the open-mindedness and the willingness to be able to simply surrender to God. And let me quote to you a very interesting teaching. The previous Rebbe said 
that concerning the different type of mitzvot, there's something called chukim, which is statutes, which we do not understand. There's something called mishpatim, which are judgments. We do understand. So much so that the Talmud says, if God would not have given us the judgments, we could have learned it from the animal kingdom. Not stealing from an ant, modesty from a cat, and so forth and so on. And what do we learn? The previous Rebbe says that the world says, if only I would be able to do the statutes with the same feelings that I do the judgments. Do you know why I have feelings when I do judgments? Because I understand it. It's very hard to have feelings about something you don't understand. So the previous Rebbe says, the world says, Ochala, if only, Halavai, we would be able to do statutes with the same passion and commitment that we do judgments. The previous Rebbe then went on to say, but I say, if only we would be able to do the judgments with the same obedience, surrender, and humility that we do the statutes. The mere fact that I know that not only I don't understand it, but I will never understand it because by definition it is irrational, it's statutes. So therefore all I can have is absolute surrender and that's the relationship between a subject and a king. You're struggling my friend. So let me share with you. Let me jump ahead in my own class for a moment. And I want to just plant a seed now and then we'll go back. Who knows the eulogy that the Torah gives to Moshe Rabbeinu? We're about to read it, right? Zota Bracha. Who knows what is the eulogy that God gave to Moses? Now let me tell you something. If there's one time in the Torah that God allows himself to get lovey-dovey, it's when he defends Moses in front of Moses' sister and brother who spoke Lashon Hara about him. All of a sudden you find terminologies that we never find God allowing himself to use. As a friend speaks face to face, so I speak to Moses, the man who's trusted in my entire house. We never find God talking like that. Remember, God's more the king than the father. So God's not afraid to get, got to be careful I talk here, right? I'm talking about God. But let me say it anyway. God's not afraid to get mushy when it comes to defending his boy Moses. Right? Now let's go to the eulogy. Does anyone know the eulogy? Let me tell you the eulogy. I'll read you the entire eulogy. And Moses died, the servant of God. Not my son, not my beloved, not my cherished, nothing. All of a sudden, God became very miserly with his words. Not the man who's Moshe Rabbeinu, who taught my Torah, who I gave my Torah, the one who came up and battled with angels and won, the one who speaks to me face to face like a friend, like a child to a father, the one who I, God, was his personal teacher and at times his chavruta. Nothing of that. Very simple. What is Moshe's eulogy? Eved Hashem. And the Talmud says, 
Eved Melech Melech. The servant of a king is a king. Do you know why? Because the servant of a king has given up his individual identity. The only identity he has is Eved Hashem. As I once shared in, a, in another class, if someone kills a civilian, it's the state of Florida versus Mr. or Mrs. so-and-so. If someone kills a soldier, whole different rules. In the times when America, and I don't mean to sound negative, but whatever, I guess my little feelings are seeping through, but in time that America believed in America, and Americans had pride in what America stood for, from the government down or up, whichever way you want to look at it, you messed with an American soldier, and America came after you. Because you didn't kill Mr. So-and-so, you just killed property of the United States of America. You just attacked the entire White House because he was in uniform. Now can you appreciate what it means, God's eulogy? That is the greatest thing you could say about Moses. Because anything you talk about Moses, you're talking about him. But when you call him the servant of God, you've all of a sudden called Moses God. Eved Melech Melech. He's given up his entire individuality. He is property of God. And thus we'll understand why on Rosh Hashanah the focus is not on intimacy. Thus we'll understand why on Rosh Hashanah the focus is not on Avinu, it's Malkeinu. Because long before you can have a Avinu relationship with the infinite God, you have to first have the Malkeinu relationship. Where my relationship with God is not dependent on my capacity, it's dependent on my surrender. And in the power of surrender, you can reflect absolute infinity. And thus Rosh Hashanah, the heart and soul of Rosh Hashanah, is not the deepest prayer. It's actually very much the meaningless blowing of a shofar. Now don't get me wrong, there's huge teachings on the Kabbalistic intentions that you're supposed to have when you blow a shofar. So much so that the Alter Rebbe actually once fooled his teacher and he let his teacher believe that he knows how to blow the shofar so that his teacher would teach him all the mystical meanings and then he revealed to his teacher, I don't know how to blow the shofar. <laughs> Physically, I don't know how to blow the shofar. So it is huge meditations. But let me share with you something. Were you to sit down Rosh Hashanah morning and go through all those deep meditations and reach the pinnacle of the secrets of the shofar where you go into the depths of your soul called Min HaMetzar from the narrow, the, the, the just letting go surrender piece of your soul and from there you connect Min HaMetzar Karatiya Anani Bamerchav I'm calling out to you from the very dark skinny dot of my soul. Answer me with your infinite essence broadness. You meditate and you get there. 
to the point where you really, really, really surrender everything to God. You are physically ready to walk on coals for God. But you didn't hear the chauffeur. Versus the person who has a Chabad Shliach, I just nudged him. Just, just wait a second, I'm blowing the chauffeur. And while he's telling me no, I'm already blowing the chauffeur. And he stops and he listens. And all he's thinking is, get this rabbi with his horn away from me. Guess what? He did it, and the meditator did not do it. Because on Rosh Hashanah, we're not looking for the intimacy. We're not looking for the intentions. Do you know what the greatest job on Rosh Hashanah is? In Chabad and in most places, we don't have shiurim on Rosh Hashanah. We actually purposely do not have sessions of Torah study. What we really focus on is what? Saying Tehillim. Why do we say Tehillim? Very simple why. Because the process of Rosh Hashanah is the creation of the world. How, my friend, did God create the world? Do you remember what it says in Genesis? Vayomer Hashem. And God said. So what we're trying to do is become the servant of God. The servant of a king is a king. So we're not focusing on my mind, my heart, as much as I'm focusing on one thing. I have now time. Let me see another 20 chapters of Tehillim. That's all it is. In many, many places, one of the very things that many yeshiva students do, and when I was a yeshiva student, I went through it too, is that we take what we call a Tanit Tibur. We take a fast of not talking. Why? Because the focus of Rosh Hashanah is the power of speech. Because the power of speech is the power of creation. Vayom and Hashem. It isn't about your thoughts. It isn't about your heart. It's about controlling your lips. Don't talk nonsense and every free moment you have. Say words of Torah. Don't just say the Aleph base. Say the Holy Aleph base. If you read the Yediot Achronot, you're also reading Aleph base, but not the Holy Ones. But if you're reading a Tehillim, you're reading Holy Aleph Bet. And what happens is that the divine flow of, of creation and creativity from God flows through our lips. And thus to really understand that Rosh Hashanah is a new beginning. And a new beginning, just like the very first time we had a relationship with God, what did we say first? Na'aseh o nishma? We said na'aseh. Na'aseh is the king relationship, malkeinu. Nishma is the avinu relationship. Let me learn. Let me understand. Let me have a close, inside, intellectual, emotional relationship with you. Well, Malkeinu has zero tolerance for that. I want to tell you a very interesting story. The Rebbe, and this actually story is almost like, you can read it almost with every single Lubavitcher Rebbe. Fanda Bashem Tavan. Not Lubavitcher was Lubavitcher Rebbe, but Fanda Bashem Tavan, you'll always have these stories. Where the scholars ask the Rebbe, why do you spend so much time with simple Jews? I mean, your teachings. The Rebbe's talks on Talmud, on Kabbalah, on Halacha, on Hasidut, they were magnificent. So if you can teach such levels of Torah, why are you spending time every single Sunday, hours after hours after hours, standing and giving dollars to people with, with earrings in the ears and then purple hair and pink hair, or other people that are just very simple, they don't understand any of your teachings. They ask that to almost every single Rebbe in Lubavitch. And the answer was always the same. But the Rebbe put it very sharply. 
when they asked the Rebbe why doesn't he spend time with the deep scholars, the Rebbe's answer was, Was hab ich von sie? What do I have with them? Everything I tell them, they have meetings and arguments and this and that. The simple people, I tell them to do something, it's done. The big brains are right away making committees and meetings and meetings to make meetings and to be continued and agendas. And then we have to approve the minutes and we have to argue about the minutes. These people, simple, I tell them, do something, they do it. Now think about what Hashem is saying on Rosh Hashanah. He wants people, every one of us on Rosh Hashanah, to be at a level where we're not making no committees, we're not doing no demographic researches. Very simple. Hashem, you said, Hineni, Hineni. That's a servant. Behold, I am here. Naase vinishma. And now let's take the flip side of this. And with this, we're going to close with this flip side. But I just want to again. I want to just wrap it up before I go into the last point. The Avinu relationship is more the Torah study relationship. It's more the intellectual Torah study. It's more the emotional prayers. Malkeinu is mitzvah observance. Hineni, you said and I will do. Now let's go to the last point. The last point I mentioned last night by the Fabrengen. Here's a story. President Shazar used to come to the Rebbe. There's videos, there's pictures. There's pictures of him sitting by a Purim Fabrengen, leaning on his hand. You see him thinking, paying attention to what the Rebbe said. Shazar, the Shin Zion of the word Shazar, stands for Schneer Zalman. The Reish is his last name. He was very close to the Rebbe. When he went to Canada, he sent the Rebbe a message. He let the Rebbe know something. That according to the politics and the protocols of government, when you fly in to one country to see a prime minister, you can't make a pit stop on the way back to go to your best friend. It's very, it's very... Um, disrespectful to the country you went to visit. Thus, he's telling the Rebbe that he can't come this time to see the Rebbe because it's going to cause chaos in political relationships between Israel and Canada. And he's just asking the Rebbe, what can be done? The Rebbe responded that I myself can't go, but I'm going to send you three of my chassidim as my emissaries. And the Rebbe picked out then very chosen chassidim. I believe he picked out Rabbi Mentlik, he picked out, I'm thinking, he picked out Rabbi Chadakov. But either way, the three chassidim that he, the Rebbe picked out, the Rebbe called them into a private audience before they went. And the Rebbe was giving them directives. The Rebbe made sure that none of the secretaries of anyone was in there, it was just these three people. So one of the secretaries who always wants to know everything, you know, every chassid wants to know, but he's always privy. So here he's not privy, so he wants to know what happened. So he asked him, what did the Rebbe tell you? They said, I can only tell you one thing that the Rebbe told us. The Rebbe told us that we are going as his emissaries. And therefore, we have to go first class. And you should know, the Rebbe told us, that if you don't go first class, you're not my emissaries. Another whole dimension to calling a human Eved Hashem. 
another who another whole new dimension to when the sages say Eved Melech Melech, the servant of a king is the king, because he doesn't represent himself. When you look at a soldier in uniform, you're not looking at Mister So and So. You're looking at Eved Melech Melech, the servant of the king is a king. Tell you another story. The previous Rebbe told Rabbi Shmuel David Reichig a blessed memory. Really special. I knew him personally in California. As humble as they get. If there was a bench in back of the shul, that's where you found him. And there he had the towels over his head for hours and hours and hours and prayed. Now what happened? The previous Rebbe told Shmuel David Reichig like this. Whenever you're invited and you go somewhere, you must sit on the head table. Rabbi was like, whoa. The previous Rebbe said, why are they inviting you? Because you're my emissary. You represent me. Where do you think they would put me to sit if I came? At the head table. So you have to sit at the head table. And by the way, that's what happened. As much as he hated it, he always sat at the edge of the head table. Why? Because Eved Melech Melech. The servant of a king is a king. Because when the servant goes somewhere, his own identity is nil, nada, nothing. He's going as nothing more of the king he serves. More than that, the king he serves. A soldier is not just one who serves. I want to share with you something. I'm not going to get into the details. Um, definitely not on recording. But I was put in a position once where someone who was paying me for my work kind of crossed the line and instead of praying me for my work pretty much felt that as long as he's paying me he could tell me what to do, when to do including shopping in Winn-Dixie or whatever. So I had to have a little moment of station identification and make very clear you pay me for my services you give me a salary and I give you my services. That's what you own. The hours of my service. Because that's a normal employer-employee relationship. And when you go beyond that, it's abusive. Not with a king. Not with a king because I don't dedicate my services to the king. The soldier isn't that, oh, listen, I'm good at this. I'm going to do this for the king. When you put on the uniform, you are property of the king. Eved melech, melech. And that's the job of Rosh Hashanah. And what's the outcome of that? The outcome is that once you become property of the king, your personal value is insignificant. So if you think that you're not good and you're not deserving and you're really from the lower class, get over it. Because we don't really care. You may even be right. You, re you really may be from the lower enchilant of the human race. But once you become the servant of the king. It doesn't make a difference who you are. Now it makes a difference who the king is. And that's why the Rebbe told these people, you have to travel first class, not because you're first class people, but because you're my emissaries. The priest Rebbe told Shmuel Duvid you have to sit on the head table. Not because Shmuel Duvid always deserved to sit on the head table. The previous Rebbe deserves to always sit on the head table. So understand when we come to Shul Rosh Hashanah, and we tell Hashem, Hineni, obedience, I surrender. 
What then happens is that what you deserve individually, health-wise, shidduch-wise, children-wise, parnasa-wise, doesn't make a difference. Maybe you don't deserve it, God forbid. But God deserves it, and right now you became the servant of God. And thus we don't look at you no more for what you deserve. We look at you for what the king deserves. And thus there's an argument. The argument is, if a worker, if a boss takes upon himself to feed a worker the way he deserves to be feed, fed, there's a machloket. One says, there's nothing you can do. The other one says, even if you serve him like the feast of King Solomon in his good days, you have not fulfilled your obligation. Why? Because if you took upon yourself to feed a Jew the way a Jew deserves to be fed, the Jew is Eved Melech Melech. Can you ever dream that you can feed God appropriately? Rosh Hashanah allows us to become that identity. So people, again, by Rosh Hashanah, let's talk practical. In five days, we're going to have Rosh Hashanah. You're going to be in shul. You're going to pray. You're going to try your hardest to pray like a mensch. You're going to try not to listen to the gossip going on behind you. You're going to try not to get upset at the gossip going behind you. You're going to try not to become part of the shishing squad. You're really going to stay focused only on your relationship with God. You are going to pray to God. And then it's going to come the moment where we blow the chauffeur. So I want to share with you what you should think when you hear the chauffeur. Don't try to close your eyes and feel the love, embrace, and faith. Just feel one thing, as good as we can, hineni. Hineni. And maybe to physically help you, I would suggest, simply when you're standing in chauffeur, no one's looking, completely open your hands. Completely open your hands as a physical representation of all I'm looking to do is surrender. Leave, go. Hashem Hineni. For however long I can hold on to this, this Rosh Hashanah, I'm going to hold on to this. It's not about my talents. It's not about my capacities. It's about one thing. I am your servant, Eved Melech Melech. For just that one moment in time in Rosh Hashanah, upon me will be said the eulogy, Vayamas Eved Hashem. And at that moment, I am completely open to anything God tells me. Now, don't get me wrong. By the time you're going to answer Amen for the first Kaddish, it's gone. But that's okay. That's okay. Whenever we go into big mountains, all we hope is to take back a little pebble. I mean, that's life. But at least experience the mountain on Rosh Hashanah. Experience what it means to physically open your hands, release the tension in your muscles, worrying about whether I'm going to convince God. Just leave go. Feel your body go limp and loose, not tight. And just say, Hashem Hineni. Hashem Hineni. For this moment, you're my king. Thank you, guys.